This message was recorded live at the Ark Church in Conroe, Texas. I was 19 years old. I walked across the field in Carbondale, Illinois. I was selling books door to door. I was on a summer break from college. And I realized that I really had run from the Lord and I needed Jesus in my life. And I bowed my head. And just walking across that field, I asked Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I really experienced with the Lord. It was a great summer. I had a great time filled with the Spirit. It was just a, a, a wonderful experience. Now, I knew some things. Once I got saved, I knew some things were going to have to change. I knew I was going to have to stop smoking weed. <laughs> oh, don't look so holy. I just, uh, <laughs> I just you know, I, I was raised, I was raised, my, my folks were Baptist, and so they, they took me to church, so I knew something. I knew I, I was going to have to stop smoking weed. I was going to have to stop sleeping around with different girls. I went to a college where the girls outnumbered the guys two to one. And yay for me. I thought that was great odds. <laughs> I was like, well, that's going to have to change. And I knew that I was going to have to stop getting drunk. And I knew I was going to have to start, start reading my Bible. So you say, well, why are you telling all this? Well, they, I knew what to do in terms of conduct. I had to stop doing some things. What they never told me was how to think that I would have to change my thinking. We're starting a new series this morning called Think Different. And Think Different is, is talking about how we have to begin to change the way we think. And when I say the way we think, I mean our mindset. Our mindset is the way that we look at life and the way we interpret things that happen to us. And I did not realize, so I thought my Christianity boiled down to I stopped doing some stuff. And the challenge with that is, if that's all your Christian life is, I don't do this, I don't do this, I don't. One, you're missing out on a whole lot of good things. The second thing is, then it becomes more about what you don't do than what you do. And so, thank God when I, when I came back, because when I went back to college, I, I fell back into my old life. And uh, thank God when I came out of school, uh, just a few months later, I got back, uh, came back to the Lord and got in a church and I had a wonderful pastor, John Osteen. That's Joel's father. John Osteen, and he began to help me and teach about how to think different. And so we, we want to talk about that because thinking different is a powerful thing. And by the way, just in case you're, you're, you're wondering, um, I still don't smoke weed. <laughs> I only sleep with one woman, and that's been for 37 years, and that's, that's, that's the deal. That's how it works. <laughs> and I don't get drunk. And I still read my Bible. So, so I thought you got free. I did get free. I smoke all the weed I want. I just don't want to anymore. So <laughs> what, what happens though is our whole Christian life, is, it's got to be a bigger experience than just what we don't do. Now, thinking different is something that, you know, the world, secular world, they jump all over. I mean, we see where if you begin to think different, it can break you out of some of the ruts and some of the limitations of the past. You ever noticed how somebody will set a, a standard like in athletics? Roger Bannister broke the four-minute mile, you, I think back in the 50s. And no one had done it until then. And since then, they even now have high schoolers that break the four-minute mile. It didn't change us physically. What changed was our thoughts. Now it's possible. So it breaks us out of limitations. It breaks us out of ruts. If you begin to think different, it'll, it'll impact your whole life. Your, your life can be lifted or lowered in, in terms of how you think. You think positively, it can lift your life. You think negatively, it can lower your life. A lady named Margaret was sitting at, in the chair of her stylist, getting her hair cut. And she told her stylist, 
She said, I'm going to Rome. My husband and I, we've always wanted to go to Rome. Her child goes, oh gosh. She said, Rome. So what a nasty city. It's crowded. It's smoggy. It's ugly. It's just not clean. What a horrible place. She said, well, we're going we're gonna to be flying over there. She said, her stylist said, who are you flying? She said, United. Stylus goes, oh gosh, United. What a horrible airline. Said, planes are old, the stewards and stewardesses are ugly and the food is bad. And she said, well, we're going to be staying at this really nice place by the river Tiber called Testi, I believe. She said, oh, she said, say no more. Said, place is a dump. Said, everyone thinks it's going to be special. They get there, they, are, they, they regret ever staying there. And Margaret said, well, I'm going to be uh, going to the Vatican. Maybe I'll get to see the Pope. And, and the hairstylist went, oh, sure. You and a million other people. He's going to be so far away, he's going to look like an ant on that balcony. So six weeks later, Margaret's back. She sits down to the stylist. And the stylist says, well, how was Rome? She said, Rome was beautiful. Said the weather broke and we just had clear, sunshiny days. Some of the best weather they said they've had in years. So we flew over on United, got one of their brand new planes. They overbooked us, so they bumped us up to first class. And I had this good-looking 28-year-old steward take care of me hand and foot, and the food was wonderful. Silas said, well, what about your motel? She said, well, they just went through a $10 million renovation. She said, that place is the jewel of Rome. It was wonderful. Silas said, well, I know you didn't get to see the Pope. And Margaret said, as a matter of fact, I did. So we were taking a tour of the Vatican and a Swiss guard tapped me on the shoulder and asked me and my husband if we would like to meet the Pope personally. He does that occasionally. So they vetted us and we walked into this beautiful sitting room and I got a chance to shake the Pope's hand and I kneeled down and kissed his ring and he spoke to me. And the hairstylist said, what did he say? And Margaret said, he said, my child, where did you ever get such an awful haircut? <laughs> We can think positively or negatively and it impacts our life. I think the, uh, the third thing is, as we realize every performance-oriented occupation deals with thinking. If you're a sales rep, they deal with thinking because they want you to stay motivated. If you are a soldier or an athlete, athletes have sports psychologists, and even the U.S. Army is now teaching their recruits how to think uh, tougher, mental toughness. In fact, they have three ways they do it. The first way, they're teaching their recruits, think like an optimist. An optimist thinks, kind of like Joy talked about this morning, it's going to be better tomorrow. I can get through this. This is temporary. That's how an optimist thinks. The second thing is, said, resist catastrophic thinking. Catastrophic thinking says, I'm assuming that the worst is going to happen. They said, you want to resist that kind of thinking. I'll tell you the, the third one in just a few moments. So if everyone else focuses on thinking, why has the church kind of backed out of that area? Why is the church doesn't talk about thinking? Why do we just simply focus on conduct? Not that conduct is important, but our thinking needs to change. One of the reasons I believe is because people often take spiritual things, church, the Bible, sermons, and we relegate it to a very small portion of our life. It's our spiritual life. It doesn't impact anything else. And because it doesn't, we kind of go to church, we read, and then we kind of hang that up on our spiritual hook and we go about living our real life, not realizing that what hap happens on the inside, what happens spiritually impacts every area. Often, too, we live in a spiritual world. The Bible says this. It says the, 
the worlds that are now were framed by the word of God. So the things which are seen, what we can see around us, was created by things that are not seen. There is a spiritual kingdom that we live in, a spiritual world that we live in. It's eternal. It doesn't have death in it. It'll never die. It's superior in its existence, but it's not as dominant sensory. Our, our senses don't react to it. We don't feel it, smell it, touch it, taste it. And so we think it's kind of the woo-woo world. It's kind of like, ooh, that's the spirit. And yet we don't realize it impacts our entire life. The third thing is, often I think it's what people think about God and what they've been taught about God. So many people have been taught that God is either neutral or negative towards them. Neutral, meaning there was a song that came out a number of years ago, God is watching us from a distance. So it indicated a God who was kind of removed from our life. Or you've heard people talk and listen to some people talk. You, listen, you think God is really angry with them or disappointed with them. And so why do we really want to change our thinking with someone who's not even for us? So how do we adjust that? Because we do need to adjust it, and, and it's important that we adjust it, but we can change our mindset. We're going to be talking about that for a few weeks. It's important, especially if we lead up to Easter. But the prophet Isaiah said something in Isaiah 55. He said this, let the wicked, and that, that word wicked doesn't mean serial killer wicked. It means uh, twisted. Let the wicked twisted forsake his way, and the unrighteous man, that means someone who's not right with God, his thoughts, let him return to the Lord and he'll have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So God is saying his ways are higher, his thoughts are higher. And if you stop and think about it, we didn't evolve. You didn't just go from being an animal, a piece of slime to an animal to a human. We, you were created in the image of God. We were created in God's image. And because God thinks, we have the capacity to think. I know it was Descartes that said, I think, therefore I am. Actually, he is. That's why we can think. And so he existed first. He created us. We're like him. And we have the ability to think. But he said, my thoughts are higher. So one of the ways to recognize is often the way we've been trained to think, our thought patterns have been trained. We've been impacted by darkness, by fear, by selfishness, by negativity. And often we have to realize, hey, you know, Lord, maybe I haven't been thinking your thoughts. And then we also have to realize that, that those thoughts, his ways are higher, his ways and our thoughts need to come up so we can change them. There's a, in 2004, a man walked into a Minneapolis, a Minnesota antique roadshow. You ever seen an antique roadshow? Interesting, where people bring their antiques in and these appraisers come from all over. And this guy walked in with, a, with a, a, a pocket watch. It was a big pocket watch that had been passed down for generations in his family. It was by a very famous maker named Patek Philippe. And in fact, they still exist today. They're very considered one of the top watchmakers. He'd had it appraised in 1989 for about $6,000. So he was thinking it had gone up. When he showed the watch to the appraiser, the appraiser's eyes lit up. And the appraiser... He told him his last appraisal at six grand. And this, this appraiser said, no. He said, uh, actually, this watch is worth about $250,000, which is a higher thought. <laughs> they did some more digging around and found out that this watch was a one-of-a-kind watch. And so when they took it to a, I think it's Sotheby's, it's at the very famous London 
auction house? It auctioned and sold for $1,514,000, which is a much higher though. You say, Alan, why are you telling us this? Because I want you to go home and check your closets and see if there's any. No, no, no. Here's why I'm telling you this. I'm telling you this because oftentimes we come to God and our view of God is he's that six to $10,000 God. But then someone tells us, no, God's good. And our thoughts raise that he's a quarter million dollar God. But then our thoughts are, no, he's above that. He's that $1.5 million God. He's bigger. And by the way, he blows one five out of the water as well. His ways are higher. His thoughts are higher and we can adjust our thoughts. And so this morning, let me just talk a little bit about adjusting our thoughts on how God sees us. Because we want to think that way. Not, not maybe what your grandma told you when she was mad at you. God, God's mad. People have been told that. Let's find out because Jesus gives us a great picture of God. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So let's look at a story of Jesus interacting with a lady here in John the 8th chapter. Now early in the morning, he, Jesus, came again into the temple and all the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought him a woman called in adultery. And when they set her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down, wrote on the ground with his fingers, though he did not hear. So when they continued to ask him, he raised himself up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are your, those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I'm the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. When Jesus was, was speaking here, there's a great story. And they bring this woman. Here he is in the middle of teaching. They bring this woman. They drag her in there. And, and we see that Jesus did not go along with groupthink. Groupthink says, okay, the law said stone her. We're going to stone her. He did not join in with the ones who were condemning this woman. He was the only one qualified to throw a stone. He didn't. Then we see he actually didn't even criticize the group of, of accusers. I mean, he could have stood there and started pointing out sins in their lives. He didn't call them on that. He said, okay, you who haven't sinned, go ahead and throw the stone first. And it said they were convicted by their own conscience and they left. So Jesus didn't reach out harshly. Now Jesus would get angry occasionally, but we see he got angry actually towards people who kept people away from God. He got angry mostly at religious folks. And so here now Jesus is standing with this woman. If you know anything about the Middle East, you know that women often at that day, even some countries today are treated like property. And Jesus was standing there with a woman who was no name. She was anonymous. She was guilty. And she did not have a chance except for the fact that Jesus would not condemn her. In fact, he asked, he said, where are your accusers? She said, no one. He said, no one condemns me. He said, Neither do I condemn you. Now, sometimes people have, have read that and they've gotten angry. They wanted Jesus to get angry at this woman. He did tell the woman this. He said, he said go, he said, and, and don't sin anymore. I think sometimes we need to think differently about sin. 
We've thought about sin, and I know there's people that are angry and angry at people who sin and angry at sinners. I, I, I really think we need to understand sin a little bit better. God doesn't tell us not to sin because he's trying to punish us or ruin our fun. He tells us not to sin because he loves us, and he realizes that sin doesn't produce anything good in our lives. And so he's trying to protect us. Don't do this anymore, he said. Don't do it again. Don't you know when she left, she had to feel like a free woman. Don't you know she had to appreciate the fact that the Son of God, the only one who is sinless and spotless, did not condemn her to death. He saved her. And then Jesus turns around and said, he said, I'm the light of the world. In other words, to this harsh religious world, to a world that's filled with hate and selfishness and fear, Jesus said, I'm an answer. If you'll follow me, I'm the light. There's been darkness here, but I've come and I'm bringing a light. Guys, can I tell you something? As we approach Easter, do you realize that angry Christianity reaches no one? There's so many people who don't want to come to church because they know that either the preacher is going to beat them down or church people are going to beat them down and they feel so convicted. They know if they come that God's mad at them and everyone's going to be mad at them. And how many of you realize that's not what reaches people? The Bible said it's the goodness of the Lord that brings people to repentance. And so the message out there the message this Easter is, oh, you need to come to our church. Well, I'm scared. Does your preacher beat down on people? No, we laugh a lot. We have a good time because we believe the gospel is good news. I get letters frequently, well, not too frequently, but every now and then I get people who are cause people and they want me to jump on this cause or that cause and they're angry at me because I won't take up all these social causes and I won't get involved with politics. I'm going to continue to disappoint you. I've got one cause, that is to preach the good news that Jesus Christ saves sinners like me. And I'm, I'm going to preach that. And I'm going to preach it happy because God's not mad. And then I'm going to preach, how do we grow in Christ? How can we learn to walk in the fullness of all? Listen, guys, we've got good news. And the good news is, come on in. God's not angry. God's got a remedy. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. How do we make the adjustment? How do we begin to think differently about God? And the first place you have to start, not just necessarily with people outside, you've got to start with you. How does God think about you? Now, here's the, here's the I've got a question for you this morning. If you were... If you were that woman and you imagine that you're standing there before the Lord and you've got accusers and you've got Jesus, is he accusing you or is he going to stand with you? If you're standing there and lots of the Bible said all of us are guilty. All of us have sinned. When you stand there before the Lord, is he looking at you like this? Or is he looking at you with compassion? Is he picking up a rock or is he taking the rocks in your place? And when you begin to realize that Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, you realize God's not mad at you. He loves you. He has compassion for you. He wants the best for you. And we know John 3, 16. I learned that when I was a kid. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believed in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. We should have kept going. Because John 3, 17 said, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God's a lot more interested in saving you than he is punishing you. And he sent Jesus for that. So we got we to put ourselves in that story and realize that Jesus is the expression of God to us. That's God's heart towards us, towards you. Second thing is, begin to thank God for who he is, who the scriptures say he is. Psalms 1, 
18, verse 1 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he's good, for his mercy endures forever. Now, you hear me talk about thanksgiving a lot. I think it's one of the keys to our Christian life. I think it's one of the keys because the Bible talks a lot about expressing thanks and telling thanks. And you say, well, why do I need to do that? Because the scriptures say that God truly is good and his mercy does endure forever. And when you begin to thank, you're actually doing what the army said is the third way that they develop mental toughness. They, they ask their recruits to learn to express gratitude. Because when you're expressing gratitude, you're not focusing on the bad, you're having to focus on the good. And when you begin to give thanks to the Lord, Lord, I want to thank you that you're good and your mercy endures forever. You're thanking God that he's good and he's good to you and he's been merciful. I'm just going to ask you a question. Has God been good to you at any time in your life? Has he been merciful to you? Has he treated you better than you've ever deserved? If that's the case, we just all say thank you. And here's the deal. And here's the, listen, people say, well, God doesn't need me to say thank you. No, he doesn't need you to do anything. You need to do it because when you and I say thank you, what you, we capitalize what we verbalize. When we capitalize means to take advantage of. We capitalize what we verbalize. When you're just walking around your house or driving in your car and you're going, Lord, I want to thank you that you're good and your mercy endures forever. He becomes more real to you in that area. People say, I just want God to be real. Start thanking him that he's good and that he is merciful to you. Here's the third way we can begin to change and think differently. We need to begin to intentionally change our expectations. I talk to people all the time. I'd say there are two expectations people have, none and bad. None is, what are you expecting? And they're like, eh, nothing. Well, you know, take a day at a time. Or you hear people say, I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop. You ever heard people say this? Things are going too good. They get this look in their eye like, Oh, hell's about to bust loose. <laughs> Things are going too good. My kids are doing good. My spouse is doing good. Everything is going good. Something bad is about to happen. You ever heard anybody say that? No one here, of course, is those other services, but somebody has said that. So, something bad. And so they have a, have a sense of dread. But if God is good, then we ought to be expecting good. Or Roberts made the whole Christian world mad when he said something good is going to happen to you. Or Roberts was only quoting David who said in Psalms 23, 6, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's good. So instead of waiting for the other shoe to drop, we're expecting goodness and mercy to come our way. So I don't know about that, Alan. I haven't been the world's greatest Christian. That's why you need mercy. And that's why you need God's goodness. It's because he's good and his mercy endures forever. Not because we deserve it, because that's how he is. And when our expectations go up, our fear goes down. Because you're expecting something good, you're not afraid. When things are going good, you're like, whoo, things are going good and they're going to get better. That's a great way to think. But it's, a, it's an expectation. They did a study a number of years ago with some, with some kids in some classes, elementary school kids. They told the teachers, there's 20% of your class, we've tested them on their IQ. 
These children are what they call IQ bloomers. Their IQ this year under your teaching, I want you to be very careful with these kids because their IQ is going to increase greatly. Now, what they didn't tell these teachers were they, they pick the kids randomly. These kids showed no inclination of having their IQs go up. But when they tested them, the children who were quote-unquote IQ bloomers tested higher in IQ changes than any of the other group. And they said, well, why was that? And they began to talk about the power of positive expectations. You see, when those teachers believed that these kids were smarter and these kids were going to expand and grow, they treated them differently. When you believe God is good, when you believe he's good to you, when you believe he's merciful, it causes your expectations to change for the better. And so instead of dreading life, you're looking forward to life because God is good and his mercy endures forever. There's a story that Joy and I have, have been a favorite of Joy and I for a number of years. It was written about a, a man who was attending a, a, a cross-denominational retreat, mountain retreat. And in this retreat, in part of his group, was a, a lady who was a nun. And she was a, um, she wasn't wearing her habit, but she had told everyone she was a nun. She just looked troubled. She just had a troubled look on her face. She didn't look happy. You could tell that sharing was difficult for her. And, you know, the group just was kind to her, but she kind of was off to herself. But the morning before the retreat ended, she walked into, she walked into that retreat and her face was beaming. And, and the contrast was so, so, so vast that they asked her, they said, what happened to you? She said, when I came here, she said, it, 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 was, it was a difficult time for me and all this sharing has been difficult. She said, I've been going through some difficult times and questioning God and questioning my faith and what God believes about me. So it was a hard time. She said, I, I, I've been listening to everyone, but she said, it was difficult for me. She said, last night when I went to bed, I had a dream. She said, it was the most vivid dream I've ever had in my life. She said, I was standing in this beautiful ballroom and the orchestra was playing and there's these couples were waltzing. She said, I looked down. She said, I was dressed in a beautiful gown. She said, and then I found myself dancing, dancing with a strong, handsome man. And when I looked up and looked into his eyes, she said, it was Jesus. And she began to weep. And they, they asked her after a moment, they said, what did he say to you? And through her tears, she said, he looked at me and as we were dancing, and he said to me, Irene, I'm just wild about you. Now here's my question. What does God say about you? Now I'll be honest. I, as, as a man, I don't relate as well to the dancing with Jesus in a ball gown. <laughs> but I do relate to a Jesus who looks at me without disgust, who looks at me with a, with a twinkle in his eye, said, Alan, I want you on my team. When you think of Jesus, does he want you on his team or is he angry? Is he throwing rocks or is he taking the rocks in your place? It's time we think differently about God. Yes. Not low thoughts, high thoughts. He really does love you. He really is good. His mercy really endures forever. Would you bow your head with me just for a moment? I'm going to ask for the next few minutes. If you would, please don't leave. I, just out of respect for the Lord and out of respect for the people around you, 
It's an important time, and if you would give them an opportunity. Because here's my question today. Are, are you here this morning and today, and you say, Alan, I, I don't know that I have a relationship with the Lord. I'm not sure. I'm not confident of, of where I stand with him, but I want to be. Or maybe you're, you're kind of like I was. You've made, you've made a decision, and you walked away from the Lord, and you know it, and he knows it. Maybe you think he's angry. Maybe you think he doesn't want you back, but I got news for you today. He really wants you to come back home. So his heads are bowed and eyes are closed. We're not going to have you stand up or come to the front, but we're going to pray. And I'm going to ask you to do one thing. If either one of those situations applies to you and you would like our prayers, you say, Alan, I, I want to be sure that I know, I want to know that I know that I have a right relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Or, Alan, I want to come back to him. Would you pray for me? Would you just slip up your hand real quickly to shoot it up across the auditorium and say, that's me. Thank you. Thank you for your courage. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. Hands have gone up all over. Anybody else? Say, Alan, that's me. Would you pray for me? Thank you. Got you. Got you. Great. Thank you. It takes courage to do that. It takes humility. But thank you for doing that. You can put your hands down. We're going to pray. Now, maybe you're thinking to yourself and debating, go, I, I really wish I'd raised my hand. Listen, we're going to pray this prayer. And I'm going to ask you to, we're going to pray it with you as a church family, but this is a heart prayer. Maybe you didn't raise your hand, but you can pray this prayer right from your heart. The Lord will hear you. And we're going to pray it with you. I'll lead it with you. But you pray it out loud. Pray it all together with us. Say, dear God, I know mankind needs a savior. I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I've said yes to you. Now, heads are bowed and eyes are closed still, just for a moment. Heavenly Father, thank you for those that prayed that prayer who have stepped out of darkness into your light. For you truly are the light, not just of the world, but our light personally. And we thank you for that. For those who've come back home, thank you, Father, that you welcome us with open arms. The rocks are gone. The arms are open. And we appreciate that. And Father, for the rest of us, those who know you, those who've walked with you, Help us lift our thoughts higher to think along the lines of how you see us, how we can see ourselves, to think different. We'll give you all the praise for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. For more about The Ark, visit thearkchurch.com.